0: An honor. Well, we we love we love this this area. Honestly, the we were up in Banff on Thursday, and uh, at Bow Falls on elbow falls, elbow falls on uh, Friday. Got to ride on the back of a Harley. It's, my, it's the first for me. It's the first time I've stayed on a bike. It's the third time I've been on a bike, and the first time I've stayed on one. So it was good have Phil so much at home. Thank you for all the Brits in the house. Uh, so good to have Mark on uh, yes. something. It was it the bass? You are playing Mark? Awesome. And to have Phil controlling the... Are you controlling the sound or the media or something? Where's Phil? Is that... Drums. 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 He was on drums. Oh, he was on drums. Yeah. It's, it's a nearly entirely British band. That's cool. Oh Rolling Stones. And Phoenix, I hear you've been connecting with Jake, our son. My gosh, on Instagram, isn't it amazing? The world is so small nowadays. I feel like we're already at home. Now, I want to, I want to uh, talk to you today about the resilient church. The, who knows? We have, we need resilience now more than perhaps we've needed for a couple of decades. I don't want to, I don't want to exaggerate what we've been through the last two years. You know, it would be easy to go, "Oh, this has been the toughest season of history." It, It certainly hasn't been. Um, But for those of us who are as young as I am, uh, it's probably one of the tougher seasons in my living memory. And so it is definitely a time for resilience, both at a personal level, uh, at at a national level, and also, of course, uh, as churches. And I I feel so encouraged as I've been praying for you as a church about your future. And it's not my role to say what your future looks like, but uh, I will anyway. Uh, just, <laughs> but I, I feel like you're only just beginning and now you're 27 years old uh, and I, 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 as I'm picturing your church I'm seeing you going deeper than you've ever gone to before in the word now that's saying something because your pastors are, are pastors of the word I, I, I love the way they meditate on the word declare the word they teach the word they live out the word uh, but I, I sense that God is saying as each one of us digs deeper into the Word, you're going to send runners out, like you know, like strawberry plants. You have strawberries, don't you? They, they, one plant will send out a runner and another plant will appear. It sends out a runner, another plant appear. And, and so I get a sense that you're going to bring a saturation to uh, this area, a saturation of the presence of God, the hope of eternity. The, uh, our, our vision statement in our church is hope on every street. It's our desire to see not just a believer, but a a C3 Imagine um, person living on every street of our region, whether we'll see it in my lifetime or not, I don't know, but the idea that the the hope of Christ could saturate our city just overwhelms my imagination. I see that happening as you continue to stay planted in the Word, as as you do so, as you get deeper into that foundation, so you'll continue to send out runners, you'll continue to start new groups and start more locations and have this region covered and saturated in the presence of God. But it takes a resilient, resilient church to stand strong against the winds and the tides of time. I see so many kids in this place too. I don't know if it's been a feature of your ministry or not. Uh, If it hasn't, then it's coming. So uh, uh, any any of you guys still have, have... that age, of the age bracket, get busy, produce those kids. I can see, I can see this place overflowing with young families and children. I, I feel like it, it's going to be part of the uh, hallmark repertoire narrative of see through Calgary West. So um, get ready, throw money at that part of of, uh, of church life. Matthew sixteen eighteen uh, says, "I will build my church." Jesus said, "I'll build my church." And not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. It's one of the hallmark scriptures of our movement, C3. And I love that because it tells us when we come to Christ, it ain't all going to be easy. It's like we're born into warfare, uh, but (laughs) we're born into the winning side. All of hell may be an onslaught against us, but we can know, we can stand firm because not even hell will overcome the advancement of the kingdom of God. That's a resilient person who can live that out. It's a resilient church. I want to walk us through Hebrews 10. So if you've got your Bibles on you, turn with me to Hebrews 10. I believe scriptures will be on the screen in uh, Canadian. Um, uh, And if you need any translation this morning, just raise your hand and we'll, I'll try and put on a Canadian accent, not so good at it. The British accent comes more naturally. Uh, I want to walk us through Hebrews 10 as a way of us understanding some steps to being a resilient person. My goal in the next half an hour or so is to get us to a point where we go, I feel confident in who I'm meant to be in Christ. I will no longer throw off or shrink back, but I will push forward. So Hebrews 10, the context here in Hebrews 10 is this. Um, the writer of Hebrews probably Paul, so let's call him Paul. It's easier to give him a name. Otherwise, I'll keep saying the writer, which seems so impersonal. So, uh, Paul, uh, he says this. Uh, he's trying to make a contrast between the law and the and the new, which is Christ. And he says the law was good; it was helpful to us, but it's just like a shadow of the real thing. Now, if you see a shadow, you'll generally know what it's a shadow of, but that's all. Like, you'll know that it's a shadow of a tree, but you won't know what sort of tree it is because it has no detail. He says, the law is like that. It gives you an image of something. You get a sort of a vague idea, enough so that you can pursue it and grasp a hold of it, um, but it doesn't even compare to the real thing. The dark outline of a tree is nothing like the beautiful green and the uh, of the real deal and the fragrance you get. You're never going to smell a shadow, but you'll smell the fragrance of the real thing. Uh, You'll see the fruit of the real thing. You won't see a whole lot of fruit coming out of a shadow. But we needed the shadow because it pointed to the real thing. And so a shadow is caused when the sun is shining behind the object... So before Christ came, he was in the background shining upon something called the law and it created a shadow that gave us a glimpse of what he is like but not the real thing. But Paul is saying, you've gone back to the shadow. You've shrunk back to the inferior and you've forgotten that Christ is no longer behind you. He's in front of you. The shadow is now behind you. You have the real thing before you. Let's focus back on the real thing. So that's the context of Hebrews, the the letter the Hebrews. How many of us today are glad that we have the real thing and not just a shadow of it? Amen? That we can experience the real thing. Hebrews 10. So let's read together in Hebrews 10, verse 19. It says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence, everyone say confidence, to enter the most holy place, by the blood of Jesus. He is saying, you've got confidence. You know, I don't know that we need a lot more confidence. I reckon what we need to do is stop throwing off the confidence that we already have. Maybe that's our problem. Certainly that's been my problem, is there are days where I forget that I have confidence, or I put my confidence in something else that turns out not to be that confident, I put my confidence in my, in my wife or my family or my work or in, or in my skill set or my abilities. And then by the end of the day, I don't feel so confident because I've built my confidence on a platform that isn't as strong as the real thing. And so what we tend to do is we throw off the confidence we've got. <laughs> it's not that we need more confidence. It's that we need to stop throwing it off, which sometimes means we have to dig away the dirt uh, and get, the, get to the rock, two-thirds of the Netherlands is man-made. Uh, uh, we live five meters below sea level, because where our house is, um, 40 or 50 years ago, was the ocean. Uh, Dutch are the best in the world uh, in terms of land engineering, in terms of r- land reclamation. Amsterdam started it in the 1300s, that was the sea, Amsterdam was, was floating in the ocean at one time. and. The, the area we live in is a lot newer and it's only about 50 years old we li- and so they they build a dike and then they pump all the water out to the ocean side and then they build on the seabed, so hence why we're very grateful for four pumps around our city constantly pumping out the leaking water and uh, and for the guy, who's the guy who keeps his thumb in the dike I'm very grateful for that little boy who keeps his th- Come in the dike and stops it leaking. And so, when we build houses, we have to put down these great long pillars, pylons, into the ground to get through the sand because there's so much sand. Our garden is sinking. Every about every 10 years, we have to relay uh, our garden because it's it's dropped by half a meter. So, you put down these pillars to find the bedrock. You and I, we have to be doing that on a regular basis pushing away the dirt the the sand, the the stuff that's less secure in our lives to make sure that each day as we get up we're putting our feet firmly fixed on a rock called Jesus the real thing, not a shadow of, but the real thing so that we are not throwing off our confidence, but we have confidence everyone say confidence you've got confidence and then he says this verse 20 you have confidence to enter, a new, uh, enter the most holy place by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. I, I, isn't that interesting? He calls it a new and living way given it ain't that new anymore. <laughs> it's uh, 2,000 years old and yet I'm so grateful that every day it is new to us the ability to draw near to him and, and, and know the works of Christ, know the person of who he is intimately. And, and so really it, it is new every day. It's, he's living, he's yes. active, he's at work in our lives. It's, it's new. Uh, but we need to come, it says, uh, it says here that um, he's opened up a way through the curtain. You may know that when Jesus hung on that cross, one of the things that happened was that the curtain in the temple that divided us from that holy, intimate place with God, there was a curtain there that stopped us being able to come in, and that curtain was destroyed. Now, this is really important because it doesn't say that it doesn't say that He drew the curtain so that on a day when things aren't going so well, you could then draw it back again and create this division between yourself and Jesus. It doesn't even say that they unhooked the curtain, folded it away neatly, put it in a nice place where moths would not destroy it so it would stay fresh for you to be able to hang it back up whenever you like. No, it said it was destroyed, torn. From top to bottom, never to be hung again. How often do we pull out that curtain and go, God, surely I'm not worthy. God, I've messed up. Surely, surely I have no basis on which to confidently come before you. And yet I am so grateful that Jesus says, I've destroyed that curtain. That curtain of that language you're using that is dividing your soul from the very life source that you need to stand in confidence, to be resilient, to resist the storms and keep on moving. Right. And yes, we do not deserve it, but yes, there is mercy. Yes, yes Jesus says, I forgive. There is yes. enough grace. Yes. Come on in. Yes. Anyone glad about that right now? If you're yeah. glad, yeah. thank you. Yes, thank Verse 21. We are the resilient church, amen? Verse 21. And since we have a great priest, over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. He says, let us draw near. Now, the people that Paul was writing to were under a lot of pressure. They were persecuted. This was a difficult season in their life. But the persecution alone was not their problem. Persecution is never the real problem because the resilient church grows in seasons of difficulty. It always has done through church history. The church has always done best under difficulty. It's just how it works. Put the pressure on and it flourishes. Hence why the church is so alive and so prominent and so active in places like China. Puts us to shame in the West. There are more Christians by percentage in China right now, then they're probably—I don't know if this is true. Certainly, there are more than there are by percentage in the, than in the Netherlands. Probably more than in Canada. It's uh, and yet they've had it pretty rough. Yeah. Yeah. Persecution has never done the church any harm. Their problem wasn't persecution. Paul is telling us the problem was they had stro- stopped drawing near. Now this is re- this is really important for us to grasp because it's really really significant why he says draw near and he doesn't just simply say pray because you can pray and not draw near That's right. you can read the bible and not allow your heart to be drawn in you can come to a service in one of the greatest churches in this city and and not be drawing near and not let it touch you you can turn up at your group your connect group and enjoy the food but not draw near And so the idea that we are to draw near is is a really profound concept. Someone earlier in the service, was Serana, you probably mentioned it, I think used the word uh, that we're transformational. And that is really important. We are transformational people. When you come to Christ, you're on a journey of ongoing transformation. I read that scripture earlier, Matthew 16, 18. It says, Peter had this amazing revelation on this rock, I'll build my church. And yet in the next, very next verse, when Jesus says, I've got to go to the cross, Peter says, bad idea. Let's choose the better plan. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. How do you go from an amazing revelation to the most stupid thing you could ever think of saying? Because it hadn't yet transformed him. Revelation alone is no good to us unless we let it transform us. We need to be people who are drawing near. He says, draw near. Many years ago, I I took a water ski lesson. Um, How many of you never read instructions to anything? Alrighty, I got some friends in the house this morning. Do, Do you have Ikea here? I love Ikea. They are so generous. They put so many spare pieces (laughs) in their pack. Anytime I put an Ikea furniture together, I've got all these pieces left over. I don't know why they put them in there, but Lisby figures it's because I didn't read the instructions as I was putting it together. So I I just don't read instructions. So I was having this lesson, and I was not listening to the instructor. I was just watching these 8-year-olds, 9-year-olds, 10-year-olds doing it and thinking... How, we, how hard How can this be? Now it was on a zip wire. It wasn't pulled by a boat. So it, around a lake, about one kilometer, which is what I, I don't know what that is in miles. Oh, you do kilometers here? Yep. Oh, uh millimeters or kyles, um, and so you, you you get down, you get down like this on a platform. And then you wait for the tug. You wait for the, the wire to grip, and then you're off. And so I'm seeing all these kids uh, do this, and I'm thinking, this can't be very difficult. So I didn't hear a word that the instructor was saying. And so there it comes to my turn. I'm, I'm down here like this, and all is going well. We get the pull, and, and I'm off. And then I realized I had no idea how to get up. So now I've got my wife on the beach. Elizabeth's on the beach filming. This is incredibly embarrassing. Who hates social media on days like this? Uh, and, and I'm down like this, uh, feeling a fall. I can't. I can't get up. But that wasn't the worst of it. If you're like this on a lake, your bum is bouncing off the water. Now, that isn't the worst of it because... What happens when your bum is bouncing on the water, you're now getting this spray coming up into your face. (laughs) And that is not the worst of it. If your mouth, if your face is full of water, you can't breathe. So about 50 meters off the platform, I am desperate for a breath. So I have to let go. I let... I let go of the string, the the handle, and I lie in the water going, (gasps) (sighs) when was the last time you came into the presence of God desperate for another breath, hungry through drawing near? The curtain is gone. He's given you confidence to come and you're drawing near Because your very soul is hungry for an encounter that would transform you into a resilient, confident, strong standing, on the rock type person. I know no better way to remind myself that I can walk through any storm than to draw near because you enter the eye of the storm, the peace in the midst of the storm, a place of resilience. Everyone say resilient. C3 Calgary West is a resilient church. Then he says this, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold unswerving. That word unswerving is, uh, means or is a picture, picture of uh, something that is not um, leaning away from its its true position. So, okay, the, something that is swerving would be the leaning tower of Pisa. That would be an example of what swerving is. Unswerving is a picture of a tower that is not moving. That's what that word is trying to give us a picture of. We've got four uh, they're called London plane trees in our garden. They're, they're, they're beautiful trees because you can sculpture them. You know, you, I don't know if you have them. You, you'd have plane trees here of some sort. And so in the winter when there are no leaves, the branches are all like less uh, They look just as nice in the winter as they do in the summer. In the summer, the branches grow uh, like three. I don't know how far they grow because I have to cut them halfway through the summer once they hit about three, four meters in, in height extraordinary growth in just weeks um, and then occasionally you get these strong winds that blow through the garden and, uh, and the winds catch these branches and the tree you see the little branches doing this and the trunks aren't big, they're only like, like this, but that thing doesn't move it just does this but the trunk is steady that's what he's talking about He's saying, stay planted. Let your roots do the work they're meant to do. Hold unswervingly. Don't just stand on the rock, but be a rock. There are people in your world who need you to be a rock when the storms come. It's all very well you being on the rock, but their way of getting to know the rock is through you being a rock and then going, how are you so rock-like? You shouldn't be like this. There's a storm blowing and you should be you should be half dead, but you're standing on your feet. What is that all about? That's then your opportunity to talk about the rock. And he said, But he says, you're unswerving because what? Where is it? Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. What are you professing? What are you confessing? What are you talking about? What is, what is the first thing that comes out of your mouth when, uh, when the storms come? It's really important that we learn to profess hope. Now, hope is not talking about tomorrow being better than today. That's that's what we all wish for. That's what we all want. That's not what hope is. Hope here is a certainty of our eternity with Christ. That's, that's, That's the New Testament definition of hope. The worldly version of hope, of course, is... I hope that tomorrow is better than today. But what if tomorrow isn't better than today? Because that's how life goes, right? Some days are better than others, and tomorrow may not be better than today. Does that mean our hope is any less? No, it's not. Your hope is just as secure on those tough days as it is on those good days. What do we profess? We profess that my life is in Christ. I will walk this path in Him. I will be with Him for eternity my hope is unwavering because my hope is in Christ. My hope is forever. There will be a day where I, no one will be able to wipe a smile off my face because there will be no pain or suffering. This is the hope that we profess. To boil it down to simple terms, Jesus loves me, this I know, just simply because the Bible tells me so. Nowadays, we have a generation that find that that's not sophisticated enough. A theology. Well, good luck with your sophistication. (laughs) I like to keep it real simple. Jesus loves me. And I know it because the Bible keeps telling me he does. Therefore, I have hope that what he says is real and true. And I will live with him in eternity forever. Let's, Let's just keep it real simple so you can base your life. On a firm foundation. anybody with me? We're a resilient church. Okay, we're we're coming into the closing uh, last stretch. Verse twenty four. He says this, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, uh, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. I love online church. Uh, Everybody watching online, we love you. It's awesome. I'm not quoting this verse to try and manipulate you to come and be in person. I think it's better. I think it'd be amazing if next Sunday, if you are able to come, I think you will experience about 90% there at home. You'll experience 110% if you're here in person. But this verse is not primarily talking about we must carry on meeting together. It is that but it's talking about what happens when we meet together. He says, don't stop encouraging one another. Don't stop spurring one another on. It is a lot easier to do that when you're in person, when you're together. It rubs off on each other, the faith and the encouragement, the ability to keep standing and be resilient. It just gets on you when you're around others who are faith-filled, when you're around others. So primarily what Paul is trying to do here is give us a picture of what church is. The body ministering to one another. You being released in your gift. To serve in your, your God given uh, abilities. You fellowshipping with one another. Encouraging one another. Doing life with each other. That's what he's talking about. How many of you love the Marvel movies? Any Marvel fans? We have just recently decided to do them in. In in, um, chronological order? Well, yes, you know, not the order they were released, but the order they were designed to be written in, uh, which helps a few things fit together. But my favorite is uh, uh, The Guardians of the Galaxy, just because I love the humor in in there. The humor is amazing. Um, But let me just sum up uh, Marvel for you. through the eyes of guardians of the galaxy you have a group of highly talented people who do not get on together for most of the movie until they figure they're going to solve the problem better if they work together and then they save the world that's sort of marvel for you right you have these superheroes who just think that they're Superhuman ability is better than the next person's superhuman ability, and they spend two thirds of the movie fighting that out and working out is Captain America better than, you know, and so on and so on. And then eventually they go, Hey, if we could just pull this together, work together, we're going to solve this problem and save the world. Wow. Sounds pretty much like. <clears throat> <laughs> you guys are super, super, superhuman. Yeah. You have the. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of you, therefore you're a weapon of righteousness in a world of darkness. You're superhuman, Not by your human abilities, but because the Spirit of the Lord lives in you. Unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. Psalm 127. But when you let the Spirit of the Lord rest on you, you have an anointing to bind up brokenhearted, to release prisoners from captivity, and to bring salvation into human souls. You, you have the ability to work on Christ's behalf, but better together. We were meant to do this in community. This is what Paul is talking about. Let's get together around a dinner table, have fellowship together, talk about the things of God and, and, and encourage one another, spur one another on, get into group, pray together, share the word together, build each other up, come to a service and, and be in worship together, Don't receive it from a distance. Step forward. Engage. Raise your hands. I remember the first time I ever raised my hands in worship. It was so awkward. It it took me the entire worship set to get my hands from here to here. And then I had a real problem because it took so much courage for me to break through the discomfort of getting my hands up like this and engage in the worship My fear was, if I bring them down, I may never get them up again. And so, how many of you ever live in your head like this? It's like, you know, know, all these thoughts go through your mind, and we overthink everything. And When you're together like this, it just gives you courage. And I only did that because I was in a corporate meeting, standing next to someone who was one step ahead of me in his faith, and I dared to take confidence to... To, to go where he was, in a sense. To, to go, I want to be like that. There's obviously more to faith than I've got right now. I want it as well. I, and so I decided to draw near. And that, I mean that's just one example of many moments in my life where I've had to work through the discomfort, but it happened in a place like this. It happened because I was challenged and, and encouraged and spurred on because I was in fellowship. We've made that word fellowship sound old fashioned and therefore no longer relevant. Thanks, guys. I get the hint. Yeah. That's awesome. Phoenix, best friend. No. Actually, I asked them to come four minutes before the end. It's my fault. Um, That's great. That's great. That word fellowship, koinonia, means two things it means communion. And we use that word communion when we're talking about breaking bread and sharing wine. And, and quite rightly, it's, it, and this, this passage is a great illustration of that, how we can draw near and have an intimate relationship with Jesus. Uh, but that word fellowship means that same experience, but now at a human level, one to another. That, that, that um, heart-to-heart, intimate, relational interaction. And for some reason... Oh, I'll get onto that in a minute. And the other thing it means is corporate responsibility. It, 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 uh, it says if I see you have a need and I can meet your need, I should meet your need. It's my responsibility. It's part of the family to do so. If I see a hurt, I, I should heal the hurt. If I got the means to do so, right. it's part of it's part of the body ministering to one another. And Acts two gives us an amazing picture of of this. It, it, it gives us a picture of how the church works together. It, and, and I love this because it, it, it says that they would, go, they would go to the temple and worship and pray together. And then they would go from house to house eating each other's food. This is one of the greatest sentences in the entire scripture. They, and in the Netherlands, I love it because everyone eats at 6 o'clock in the evening. It's just, I don't know. We've not been able to drop that tradition. It's just evening meals. So you know when to knock on someone's door. <laughs> if I arrive at someone's house at 5 to 6... I will get fed. It's cool, and they're obliged to do so. I just knock on the door and go Acts two, <laughs> uh, 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 and I i have the right to, to eat whatever's in the cupboard. That's what I think. I think that's what think. Acts two is trying to say. <laughs> uh, you know, from, they went from home to and there's something about the type of conversation you have when you're eating together. It, it sort of drops a little deeper. Uh, I don't know why it works that way, uh, it, whether that was how God always intended it to be. I think it probably was. But you just, your hearts knit together over food. Eat together. Do fellowship together. Allow, fellowship isn't the chit chat that happens in the cafe after the service. That's chit chat that happens in the cafe after the service. Fellowship is when you have someone round to your house or you go out to a cafe and you eating together, it's when you get to your group and you're sharing some food together and talking the word together and encouraging that's the church and that's the resilient church, that's the church that will stand through storms together and see themselves grow and strengthen, be reminded that they can come through the curtain that no longer exists, you can come boldly into the throne of grace, drawing near and take a breath in his presence because you've got people around you who constantly remind us that we're the resilient church he closes off the passage at the end of the chapter in verse 35 somewhere around then he says so therefore do not shrink back as we go back into worship I want us to think about this because I want to pray for you this morning C3 Calgary West that we would not be people who shrink back but we would take courage to push forward not throw off our confidence he says do not throw off your confidence do not shrink back stand your ground be the resilient church. Take a hold of your strength. Could we stand to our feet? I'm going to pray for you and then we're going to go back into worship. I want us all to reach out to heaven right now. Reach out to, reach out to God. The power of the Lord is in this place. The presence of the Holy Spirit is in this place. There's more inside of you than maybe you could think or imagine. The anointing of the Holy Spirit can do for you more than you could perhaps begin to think or imagine. The power of God can strengthen you more than maybe you had dared to think. Here today, maybe you have thrown off your confidence. Maybe you've shrunk back. Maybe stuff has been too much for you, but today you're coming back to a place of confidence. Take courage, says the Lord. Strengthen that which is weak. Be strong. For Lord, your God is with you. Lord, I pray for every person in this house, every person watching online. The power of the Holy Spirit, flood our hearts as we draw near to you. We remind ourselves that we stand upon a rock is the hope of our salvation eternity before us our past behind us Lord I pray you'd lift off people today anything anything that stopped them taking their confidence in Christ set them free in Jesus' name thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and check out our C3 Calgary live stream on YouTube. If this message resonated with you and you'd like to give to our church, you can do so on our website at myc3church.ca. See you next week.